This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast for part three, the last part of our reserve list extravaganza. Today, you know, episode one, we kind of covered what went into the creation of the reserve list. Episode two, we covered what's happened since, what changes were made, stuff like that. And now we're basically going to talk about how it exists now. Uh, Hasbro doubled down, and then kind of like the pros and cons, objectively not trying to get into any like arguments or anything like yep. that. So. Yep. Uh, so the reserve list, as we know it, is locked in place. Watsi is done fiddle-farting with the ins and the outs in theory. All possible loopholes are now closed with the uh, promo and foil loopholes uh, being closed. I think something like a collector's edition like they did originally with CE and ICE would be considered promotional because of the limited nature of the the product. Yeah. So even looking at something like that uh, is closed. The only way to actually implement these cards now and give them to players is through a digital medium. Moto, yeah. Arena, what, what have you. Uh, I think the Dual Lands are on Moto now. I think they were part of an event a couple months ago as a trial run for something. It was one of the weird formats you could play that pop up every couple of weeks. Yeah. And this is kind of where we are. You just have to know that Watsi is protecting these cards. They buoy the game financially. They lend it credence in the collectible world. And it gives vendors the ability to say this is going to be a product that i will support uh, be it through singles or through uh, sealed supplements etc and i am happy doing so i know that this parent company won't just change course and crash the market on me ending my ability to support my players and myself and that's super important when it comes to other games that we've talked about, uh, Netrunner, uh, now Legend of the Five Rings, which I think is back, they're both LCGs. Yeah. Those just sit on the shelf, and you can buy them like you can a regular deck of cards. Mm -hmm. They, You can't make a store or a marketing attempt like a tournament series around this because there's nothing to buy additionally. You buy the product once, and then you own the product. That's it. The reserve list gives yeah. us the opportunity to continue this game as a collectible, as a trading card game underneath that collectible. It allows you to sit there and crack packs and still see random product and kind of get that rush if that's the kind of person you are. It allows you to spend the time <laughs> and trade up or trade around for a piece of history as far as this game is concerned. Yeah. Uh, you know, the con to that would obviously be, for people like me, Legacy is magic as it's intended to be played, despite Luris. Uh, and one of the cons is it prevents people from being able to access these eternal formats. Oh, yeah. It also makes EDH a little bit more expensive for people that want to play competitively. Uh, you know, see EDH blue decks, a lot of them run Twister. Yep. Hard to run Twister when it's, you know, 2K. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's never going to get reprinted. Mm -hmm. And... You know, that's that's the trade-off there. Uh, but, 
you know, I, I think those are just two basic pros and cons. And that's what it boils down to is you get a sense of accomplishment when you get it and you track this card down. But there's only so many of those cards to be mm-hmm. tracked down. So access is cut off, uh, you know, and as you'd mentioned, kind of locked in on the reserve list now. I know there's been some content creators that have gone out and said, like, you know, that, oh, Wizards is looking to sell. These are the things that are going to happen. And it's, you know, we'll see if it happens. I don't think Hasbro is going to sell Wizards. No. It's their most profitable branch. It doesn't make sense. And, you know, as as long as Hasbro doubled down, which they mm-hmm. did when they bought Wizards of the Coast, they said, nope, that's it. We're done. Uh, the, the reserve list is here to yep. stay. We're, we're promising you that. I, I don't think that's going to change. No, I don't, I don't think so either. Uh, and for all the good and the bad that it serves, the reserve list does allow this, this game to continue in the, the niche it wants to continue in. If they wanted to change yeah. the game to a living card game instead, they have to change everything about this game aside from the rules. You know, period, yeah. ended. And you still would have the problem of uh, the reserve list cards. And there have been some interesting solutions. I know Ben Blyweiss... Uh, posted one where essentially you could just take uh, any number of copies of reserveless cards that you have, bring them to a Watsi booth somewhere, they shred the original ones on site and give you uh, a multiplier of the newest version. But then that still creates the issue of, well, the original ones are worth the most and there are people out there who want to play the original art of everything. And you and yeah. you just continue to spiral down the same problem. And it's, while, you know... The solution is kind of over the top in regards to shredding something physical like this and destroying a piece of history. It, it does go to show the lengths that you have to, to go, the hoops that you have to jump through to actually try yep. and end this thing and not crumble some portion of the history of this game. Look how upset people are about losing the DCI history uh, on their accounts. Yeah. I, I, people look back. And they care about FNMs and the Grand Prix they used to play in. And I know my my history tracks for a while, but I'm the camp that I just don't care. If they want to get rid yeah. of it, fine. All I want to know about is how in the future I'm going to sign up for tournaments in a timely fashion, at large events and small. And as a judge, what I have to do. That's all I care about. When it comes to reserve to the reserve list, you and I are in the same boat. It keeps people from playing one of our favorite formats in Legacy. The, yeah. The end. I. I I think I have, I think I said it before, between four and six people I can play Physical Legacy with up here, no proxy. Yeah. And that's really all there is, unfortunately. And it's, you know, large events have kind of been abandoned, and a lot of that is, you know, wizards can't make money off selling packs for reserve list cards, obviously. And that's how it is. Correct, and all you have is that pomp and circumstance, but you have to kind of look at this also as as a parallel to something, too. If you want to look at something that is collectible, so to speak, classic and utilitarian, look at people that race classic cars. The people that rebuild muscle cars from the 70s, from the ground up. They're not making they're not making those anymore. You have to rebuild everything. Sure, you can get approximations if you need a new body kit. You replace the engine transmission, obviously, and you get something sometimes that's better or maybe an approximation. But that is a util- something that's utilitarian yeah. for a hobby. That has a very real cost to it. That is not a cheap hobby. Yeah. And that's, you know, as we, as we said in the first episode, that's kind of been the difference when we were looking at an LCG model as opposed to the CCG mm-hmm. model. 
And Wizards East of the Word Collectible, yep. which was, again, you know, so important for the history of the game and when this game first started, which, you know, it's it's hard to convey how important that was now to people that, you know, are used to collectibles as they exist yes. now rather than how they did, you know, 20, 30 years Absolutely. ago. But uh, it's, it's interesting to see, and I think, you know, unfortunately, I, the reserve list is here, and... I realistically don't think there's a way for them to get around it, especially, as I said in episode two, after they got rid of that promo exemption. Oh, absolutely. Uh, because that, that was perfect. Yeah. Because you you were able to print, like, you know, you could print another ICE-type co- collectible if you wanted mm-hmm. to. And that's fine. But that's... Uh, that's how it is, unfortunately. Yeah, it's no longer the world we live in, and for some people, that's fine, and for some people, it isn't. And, it's, and it is understandable that there are people who, who love playing uh, formats, even like EDH, that are casual, but still allow reserveless cards because they're not oppressive. A dual land isn't uh, oppressive, so to speak. Yeah. You know? Uh, you, you can have your own conversation about City of Traders and uh, Grim Model later, but... yeah. That represents an area of their of their deck that might never be able to improve. You know, the person out there that owns one deck, they love that one deck. It's, it's a perfectly fine, serviceable deck, and the only thing they'll never be able to put in it is that dual land because they can't afford it. And you know what? That is a shame. It really is. Yeah. And at some level, even if you are enfranchised, you have to you you can and maybe should feel for that person because it is the it is their thing, and. They're, yeah. s- they're stuck. They're bound by this. It's not written, really. But, you know, this list that well, yeah. that just says, you can look at this card, put it on the pedestal you want it to, but it's just going to move further and further out of reach the longer it takes for you to, you know, accrue or what have you. And, yeah. and it is a sore spot for people who play this game in any capacity and at the end of the day you can be mad about this all you want rightfully so but this is what allows you to continue to play this game period without this reserve list there would be no way to play this game anymore It, it would have gone by the wayside done yeah and i think that for all of the uproar and furor over the existence of the reserve list, for all the heated arguments, for all the, you know, oh, I'd much rather the reserve list go away as a vendor because I can sell $10, $40 UCs way easier than I can, the one you know, $400, one $400 yeah. UC, which was Ben's example that he gave on a Reddit thread. You know, I for all of that and the posturing and everything, I think it's, you know, I've hammered this point to death. I think it is important that it exists. I, I think it's important for this game to be separated from Pokemon, from Yu-Gi-Oh! especially, yeah. where they have extracted the perfect model to get as much money as possible from kids and yeah. players. You know, we we have... When it first comes out, it's a $100 card, all the spikes want it. Then it's in a tin. Then it's a common in the oh, later yeah. set. 
we couldn't do that. I have more negative feelings about the company Konami and how they handle that game than I do about that game itself and the way it plays. Like, top down, I think Konami is a dumpster fire when it comes to that game because they treat their players like utter garbage when it comes to that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. The... The way that Konami quote-unquote protects their players from this kind of price manipulation that we have with our reserve list that we will touch on is on-site at an event, a single card cannot cost more than $100, but you can bundle as many pieces of bullshit as you want together with that $150 card and sell them all for $150. That's fine yeah. because that one card doesn't cost $150. Six of them do. But yeah. off-site, perfectly fine for that $150. That's not price protection. That's just some, Konami set forth a rule, no bullet points, and vendors found, were clever enough to find a way to walk through it because the market demanded that card costs one fifty. Yeah. If if Konami wanted to actually set these protect, protections, they would do it at the top level instead of just telling the vendors in good faith, quote unquote, to do it at these events. And you can be mad at the vendors if you want to, but in the end, it's Konami's system, and they set forth these rules. You know, Konami yeah. wants to distance itself from the market, but also sit on top of the market in these closed environments. Like, ugh. yeah, it's it's rough, but it's it's also been interesting to me the people that have been in both games and their perspective on both of it because it does go both ways. Oh, hundred percent. I it it really does, but. It's been incredible to see those perspectives meet up because I've never seen more civil conversations about the reserve list than from people that have played Yu-Gi-Oh! and, and Pokemon and Magic invented for all. Mm-hmm. It's, it's incredible. I highly suggest if you have a friend that has that, ask their opinion yeah. on it because they're more well-informed than most on the dangers of both. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. The, the one thing that always interested me was Pokemon way back when, and I don't know when it changed, but to kind of distance itself from a secondary market, they created the idea of, of uh, a Pokemon tournament that led to like the first or maybe, sec- and maybe second and third Nats was really just the best in region and to get... Uh, it was a regional Nats uh, world system, and to get to yeah. regionals, you had to play at tournament centers. And it was all around Robin yep. events. But tournament centers were things like Toys R Us. There wasn't an LGS. And I don't yeah. know who enforced the rules and who was actually a... Uh, I'll, I'll put the word licensed in quotes here, adjudicator for that game. But to separate it out, to block it out from the secondary market, nothing was done at, the, at a game store level. It was all done at a place like Toys R Us where you could just buy infinite packs. And Toys yep. R Us is a company that sells at MSRP. They're not there to gouge. So at least in that way, Watsi, who was who did own this game at the time, you know, yeah. worked with Nintendo and put players in that kind of environment and pulled them out of the local game store, even if packs were provided there. You know, that is a way magic could go. You could pull out the LGS model and reprint everything when you remove the reserve list and just let people play at a tournament center. And there are stores yep. that have that. They just have a tournament center or a game room. And you just separate the space. Yeah. But it just created this weird environment for Pokemon. Yeah, it's it's been 
and that's that's another factor that I think plays into the collectability and financial aspects is how much more Pokemon centers on LGSs because they still have the Pokemon online yep. and I love their online system because it's you buy a booster you get a code for that exact booster online mm-hmm. you have all those cards now in your collection and I think that's yeah. great but they have they have at least recognized without acknowledging the importance of the LGS and that secondary market to their game. Yeah. So I I just I think that's good. No, it is. And but Pokemon does things. I digress. Pokemon does things a little differently, a little more interestingly as well, because they make those uh, promo kits too, and those are fairly widely yep. available. And generally speaking, I think it's at least one a year is a hit in regards to the packs and the car- and the uh, promo card contained within that sell mm-hmm. an msrp and you can resell all of it for more than you more than you bought it for but everybody has access to these because they're a widely available product they're easy to find every lgs yeah. gets infinite all they have to do is have the demand for them and it, it keeps that market flowing and that game pokemon is the game that straddles a format structure it bridges the format structure between uh, Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh, where Yu-Gi-Oh is like mm-hmm. legacy all the time. They, the only reason you can't play a, a card if it is illegal is because its synergistic piece was banned. The end. Yeah. Magic has this standard format that rotates through and has a bunch of older formats to play. Pokemon has standard, and that's it. So the the LGS model is a, is. Uh, applicable but it's got to churn really 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 quickly and i i yeah. don't know anybody who carries that it's, they're like kind of you know substrate so to speak and without a reserve list that kind of constant churn and no older formats allows that game to just play out the way it does which is you have to buy everything all the time and once it's gone there's no longer a value to it because it's a trading card game not a collectible card game and they don't support anything old. So they don't have to worry yeah. about rules interactions. They don't have to do anything else. And for anybody who wants to say, yeah, but they have an extended format, show me where it's played at the professional level. Go for it. To the best of my knowledge, it's just standard kids, standard adults, and that's it. That's all they have. Yep. But without a need to support all these old formats, there's no reason to say, all right, we won't print any of these cards ever again. As I cited last episode... They reprinted all the Watsi era cards. Yep. Or maybe all the base uh, through jungle stuff. And and uh, evolutions to coincide with Pokemon Go. Yeah. You can't reprint Alpha. Or I guess Revised would be a better example. A reserve list says not. Says you can't do that. Because it deflates the rest of the game. Because instead of making the 4 million copies of each card or what, what, what have you, you're making 100 million. Yeah. Way too many. You just, you, you just kill the game because it's play. these cards are used throughout. They're collectible, they're yep. rare, they're collectible, they're playable. They have a home. You know, uh, the stuff from like... Amazing how that Neo works. And black, uh, Neo and uh, Black and White, whatever those those couple sets are, they have a home, sure, in the, the modern format in Pokemon. Nobody plays it. You don't have to care about yeah. those reprints. They'll only affect standard. They rotate out, they're gone. You don't need to protect them from reprint. They're they're tradable, sure they're collectible because people might like the cards, but this isn't. It's a long running game, but it's not one where people are told at the beginning this is going to be a collectible game. 
there will be a rarity because of that. We're not going to print a lot. Yeah. Have at it. But. And <clears throat> I think, you know, it's it's also funny that Pokemon has kind of mirrored magic because over the last year or two, uh, Classic, I think it's called, has become really popular, which is basically up through Jungle, which is why you've seen some of that stuff start to, like, go up in price as people are collecting all those old cards it, old cards to play pokemon classic like they yeah, okay it's what i thought it was it's not jungle because that's the first expansion it's fossil because that's the second yeah and then after that yep. you have rocket and jim the game stopped being supported by watsi at jim and rocket was this weird set that nobody played a yeah. lot of okay but fossil i think also finished the original 151 yes yeah because it yeah yep it had it had the fossil cards, yeah, to finish that out. So yeah, it, it's effectively old school. Yeah, pretty yeah. great. But at the end, that puts additional pressure, additional additional emphasis on those older cards. Yeah, absolutely. And the only expectation that you have that uh, Nintendo will not reprint them is that they don't fit the game well anymore. No, it's. Sadly. Yeah, it's purely a nostalgia move. The art is the art, and the game has some banging promos, but there are there's a lot of air in all of these sets. Just a lot, a lot, a lot of air. And cards have prices yeah. because of the art. The original art does not look that great. It's very early digital for the most part, almost all of it. And it like that stuff was cutting edge for the time. It looked great then. It does not look great now. The cards yeah. don't play well in standard. They're not nearly powerful enough. And they don't look anywhere near as good as what's being printed it's just a flopped product it's not the original stuff it had to be changed it it's functionally similar quote unquote because there was a huge rules changeover it's just not the same so it's not necessarily yeah. a reserve list that protects all that old stuff it's just that that wouldn't sell the way standard sets do because of the new art the new play style you would have to make a dedicated nostalgia product, which essentially they did. They gave up an entire set. I think it's one of the Pokemon Evolution set. And yeah. it did not do that well. I think the second one did because it was actually brand new playable cards. The first one did not. It was just the pits. Yeah. Say la vie. It is. Yeah. Now, going back to the topic I touched earlier, with our reserve list effectively being... Uh, blue chip stocks for the most part you do get manipulation in a wide open market which i'm sure people thought we would talk about earlier earlier in these two episodes but we yeah. didn't because it wasn't relevant here we are for the last what would you say is it five years or six years when did uh when did they splash the pot on moat is that 2016? uh yeah, it was about five i okay. believe so that yeah that was the first time I can remember that somebody just bought out yeah. the population of a reserveless card across a, a, I think, TCG player and uh, on-site and removed them from the U.S. population in time and shopped them over to Japan. That started one of the earlier reserveless you know, bits of manipulation. Uh, after Moat, there came another couple of cards. The Legacy scene hit on Star City, which pushed a number of 
uh, yep. primary reserveless targets up, namely uh, the dual lands and then some of the uh, cards on the uh, the periphery of that one up as well. Some things that people thought wouldn't be uh, reprinted so hard to, to target cards like Sylvan Library, main, you know, peripheral card for legacy play. Yeah. And then we continue to have manipulation within reserve list with the Bitcoin spike when it hit 17k a coin. We had a lot of people in you know this in the early to mid 30s era, so I'm a little older, just cash out their holdings, then move into the reserve yeah. list and buy their nostalgia pieces, any set. Uh, I think we've mentioned it before. There was a story on the NPG Finance subreddit, not for this past Vegas, but the one prior to that, where somebody cashed out about 100K and took that to Vegas and bought all the Alpha Beta Unlimited dual lands they could find in the room. Just yeah. cash in hand, walked into that tournament center and just vacuumed. And because that's what they wanted to do. Yeah. Now, over the last couple of weeks, starting with Wheel, maybe Sylvan Library before that, there is another group out there of people who can afford to absorb cost targeting individual reserve list cards. So Wheel, Sylvan Library, uh, Volrath Stronghold. LED, LED. Mox Diamond. Yeah. Uh, Volrath Stronghold is starting to go up. That was on their list. Yeah. And this is the world we live in now where people are taking advantage of this open market space because, as we talked about in other episodes... This is not a stock, and it cannot be a regulated market. Well, it can be. They just have to try yeah. very, very hard, but there's not enough profit to be made at the end of the day to make this a regulated market. Worth doing. Yes. Uh, it's also worth noting, for those of you that have access, so Mox Diamond is $320 on TCG Player. Still about 120 euros on card market. So if you have the arbitrage ability... Uh, both Mox Diamond and LED and Gaia's Cradle have been static in Europe yep. while they've been spiking here in the States. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, when you talk about market manipulation in the reserve list and that that's how it works, uh, it's, you know, there's always a workaround if you know where to look for yep. it. And it's as easy as going on a Facebook group and saying, hey, uh, I want to get this over here. Can somebody please help me out? That's all I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Uh, and just ask on a Facebook group and someone will say yes and you'll save yourself a ton of money. Uh, Cradle's almost 500 mm -hmm. now and it's 140 on 140 euros on MKM. Yes. So it, it's there, there's an out, and even in spite of the reserve list, all of those cards that there is manipulation going on, you can still see there's opportunities and places to get them affordably if you just know where to look. Yeah, and eventually all that's going to happen is the floor is going to raise. Is $500 the new floor on Cradle? Probably not. It's most likely lower than yeah. that. It sat at 350 for several years, uh, most likely due to the fact that that's too pricey for most EDH players and Elves became a very bad deck in Legacy, you know, the two most popular formats for that card right now. And thus yeah. it sat until the population... The card population was removed from U.S. marketplaces and just squirreled away. What we're seeing now compared to what we were seeing years ago where you could actually track the movement of high-profile cards like power, dual lands, uh, foreign and white border uh, from flow through Europe into Japan, the U.S., etc., is these cards are now being privately held. Yeah. And 
be, removing them from the market now creates uh, a vacuum. And I, for some of this stuff, they were hoping to see FOMO sales and artificially raise the floor and see if it would stick. And it did in some cases. Grim Monolith is continuing yeah. to tick up because people were still buying into foil and non through the manipulation. And then these cards will sit in boxes for who knows how long. When they're re-released, well, if there's no demand, then those cards drop, obviously. Yeah. So you have to say, okay, Cradle was manipulated. And I'm just choosing this because I remember the prices on it compared to the others. Do we really think $500 in a year is the correct price for this card? A card with little demand and a, a relatively solid floor at about 350 And a, as you gestured, no, 500 is not is not the floor. That's unreasonable. I, and that's something that I think a lot of people skip over when they see these spikes happen, especially with Wheel of Fortune. A lot of people said, well, yeah. I was going to buy Wheel of Fortune to go with the new commanders that came out. Yeah, that's why that card was bought out. That's why it was bought out in Europe. That's why it was bought out in the US. This was a targeted maneuver by you know the, the group I, was, I mentioned or individual or other individuals, I don't know, but there was a very direct move on that card. And yeah. it just sits there. The market price goes up, the average goes up, but if nobody's buying, it will come back down. We saw all of our reserveless prices drop back down. Yeah. The uh, anything that I, I, we've talked about this before, anything that isn't iconic will eventually settle somewhere. Higher than it was, yes, but not a bloated price. Not something that's astronomical right now. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's something that I think the outrage starts, and it's a lot of people that immediately target the reserve list as this is why we're mad, this needs to go away, without necessarily taking the long game, long-term view of, you know what, maybe this price doesn't stick, because the nice thing is, being an unregulated market, as we touched on a few episodes ago, it, it will only sell for what the market will bear. So $500 for Cradle does not seem realistic. I think 250 to 3 was pretty good. And I don't think that you really, that people necessarily take that view. They just immediately go into outrage mode. And that's when all of the arguments and everything else happen. And that's how you end up with all of the discourse. Yes. All of the hatred for vendors all of the MTG finance bros are dirty, filthy pieces of garbage who shouldn't exist in our market. And it's not that bad. Maybe I'm wrong. It's just how I feel. No, but I, I think it's an important point to make. It's something I think that needs to be hammered home because it's, sometimes it's hard to separate out the emotion because it that that is evocative you 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 were looking at this yeah. card you wanted to buy it you maybe you had a date in mind i've saved up enough etc and then all of a sudden the market just disappears out from underneath you and now it costs two to three times what it did when you were tracking it yeah and people and you're going to be mad about that but you also you have to take that step back at some point and say okay if the market disappeared and there are a number of people saying 
and with proof that this is just manip market manipulation, well, these will be relisted in time. And when they go up, if they don't start selling for that price, they will come back down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, time heals all wounds. It's just time and time again, people would rather take that evocative stance. You know, the the crowd from South Park, the angry mob. Rebel, 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 right? <laughs> yep. Because sometimes it's just easier to shake your fist and be angry then as opposed to just being level-headed about it and say, okay, well, when these do come back on the market, they will eventually fall back into a price that is attainable for me or a, yeah. a price that I am still happy to pay because I will have something that I've been trying to get for a while. The sense of accomplishment can still be there. When it disappears and it is just the price is just jacked to the moon and past like that's just evocative and that's just where people want to get mad and be mad about something it's understandable absolutely you just have to still be objective about this and every yeah. not everything on this reserve list is iconic and will continue to grow in price uh, second chance yeah. i think right that's the urza's legacy take an extra uh, turn if you have five or less life yeah second, second yeah yeah uh, combos quote unquote with uh Hall of Heliod. I should be bringing these cards up. Cause... Yeah, Hall of Heliod for infinite turns. Yeah, yeah. You gotta do something because you're just drawing, you know, one card a turn. Yeah, yeah. But, so, yeah. you know, second chance, you sacrifice it, take your, your extra turn, and then uh, Hall's... Hall of Heliod. Uh, I can't... I can never remember the name of this card. From Modern Horizons. Yeah, uh, Hall of Heliod's Generosity. Right when yeah. when this card was spoiled, you know we moved in on second chance because this allows you, in theory, in just a blue white deck to take infinite turns. And you know what that card did go up? It was for like five or six dollars. Uh, I arbitraged in from Japan, and my view on that card is eventually because it's an enchantment that allows you to take an extra turn. It goes to the graveyard. There there's now a way to recurrent enchantments from the graveyard. Something will happen with this card, and I moved in. Yeah, and I'm at a loss right now. Not all reserve list cards are iconic, and you know, moving uh, a spike of the reserve list, so to spot, so to speak, splashing the pot is not the rising tide you would expect. I don't know how many grim feasts I have as a long-term spec, but it's a lot. Don't spec on grim feast; it's not iconic enough. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of iconic and reserve list mattering, yeah. so. Yeah. And playability matters too. This is all very important when you see these spikes. You can expect duels and power, Juzams, these uh, Chaos Orb, these cards where the art was evocative of the first few years. It was all over the marketing yeah. material. These these are the cards that people are going to want to search out. They are going to be the ones yeah. that hold value over time. They those are your blue chip stocks. Things like uh, you know Second Chance, Gilded Drake. Grim Monolith, they have their moment in time and they will have a price, but demand isn't there as a collectible item compared to that old art. These are cards on a list, and they yeah. will be messed with. Their prices will go up, but their prices will come back down. It, but the, the bitter truth is, the longer you wait, or the longer it does take you to attain these cards, the harder it is going to be, because they are, are of limited quantity, and thus the paradox of the reserve list it floats our game financially and ensures that everything you buy has some kind of value 
so that when you are eventually ready to stop playing this game, you can get some kind of return on it. Yeah. But this open marketplace will get you in the end if you are wait if if it takes you time to attain that card. Yeah. So I just be patient, be mindful, and be objective. Basically, the only advice. Yeah, be objective. Like, yeah. You know, if you if you want to talk to us more about this, we're more than happy to. I I always enjoy tweeting. Yeah, I, I'm the one that generally fields the reserve list conversations because I I feel like we're, we can both be objective about it, but I'll stay up talking to you until three a.m. I, and I scream <laughs> into the sky after a certain point. So. I, to be fair, someone asked me what I was doing. I think like as I was, I was something magic related. I was like, I'm done with this. I'm going to walk outside and yell into the void. I did have that kind of moment this week where I was just yeah. like, I'm done with this bullshit. I'm out of here. <laughs> but I, it, this is just one of those topics that is very hot button because it is evocative and people would rather yeah. Listen to emotion and act on emotion, and sit down and think about this, and engage in actual discourse with the under, underpinning understanding of why we actually need this to continue to play our game the way we do. And yeah. at the end of the day, you and I both seem to agree that for all the bad it does, there's also some good to it as well. And abolishing the reserve list is not possible not likely and if it does happen that's when i would assume we would be entirely digital oh yeah and that and when you're looking at that then it's not just the reserve list cards that uh see financial fuckery i think it's the best yeah. way to put it well, ready for picks picks let's do right. it i'll go first I like mine. Yeah. Right. Okay. So uh, I'm picking what I believe to be a, a pillar card for the EDH format this week in Awakening Zone. I don't remember this card doing a damn thing when it was in Standard, and it sure as hell did nothing uh, until EDH happened. This was, it is reprinted in the original EDH set and Plane Chase 2, Plane Chase 2012, and then Plane Chase Anthologies. That's it. They've had their opportunity to reprint it again, and that recent spike on uh, stocks that held is uh, from January, so we didn't have the EDH list, this, this, so this still could be in the green product, but it held because it was yep. not in any of the, the cards that we saw, or sorry, any of the decks that we saw come up. So the reason I like this, despite the fact that CK isn't actually buying that many, they were buying... 12 Rise of the Eldrazi copies at $4 cash, $5.20 is, again, this was an arbitrage opportunity. If you could manage to drop ship uh, off TCG, you could just uh, slide it straight in there. And they were buying all versions. I just noted the, the Rise yeah. of the Eldrazi price. So every version of this card, right? So Awakening Zone is in this interesting spot. It fits into... Uh, two EDH deck camps. One that I like to call base green and one base black. A base green EDH deck is one that wants to ramp fairly quickly, fairly cheaply, and just get several turns ahead uh, by ramping early. Base black is yeah. an EDH deck that likes to play something like Grave Pact. I make a creature, mm -hmm. it has a sacrifice clause on it, and now everybody sacks a creature. Okay? So that's what we're looking at. 
And when you look at the EDH data on this on uh, EDH rec, what you're seeing now is uh, this kind of obfuscation of the casual demand for this card. A lot of the decks you're seeing when you look at the most common cards, the most common generals are those base black lists. They're either just pure green black or they're junt. And they're very much uh, centered around things uh, like Grave Pack, Blood Artist, Zillapark, Cutthroat. They go with generals like Marin, Prosh, Korvald. And it's kind of this telling story of a card that used to be super casual and is yeah. now just uh, a fairly aggressive card in this fairly casual format. But hidden in here is actually Rift the Awakener, which better speaks to what this card actually used to do. And this is a card that yeah. allowed you to do big, dumb green things and quickly. You, just, you can just let these tokens sit around and Rift as a token-making general would allow you to just spew more tokens and you could just pump them for the win and combat step. Yep. And that's the data that we've currently uh, we've currently lost. Interestingly enough, every time this card has been reprinted, it is uh, it is absorbed almost immediately back into uh, or off the marketplace and into players' hands. So if this does get reprinted, this is a card that I see living through that and demand increases because it then comes back into or into the forefront of player vision. Yeah. So that's kind of what I saw looking at this EDH list, was there's so much Jund sacrifice going on here, or green-black-based green sacrifice, that the casual player has forgotten about this card. The truly casual player has forgotten about this card. And once yeah. that truly casual player remembers that this is a card, and the price tag drops from 5 to 2, and we have demand flood back in, when those copies are then absorbed that's when these cards go back up past five, cresting most likely towards 10 because it has bubbled up again. People are now remembering that this is a card. And this is a card with a price history. It's been $5 before, albeit very quickly, according to yeah. stocks, but it will hold this price tag over time. It's also tied to Zendikar. So it's kind of in a weird place to reprint. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if we'll... Now that the Eldrazi are kind of gone, I don't think we'll see it in Zendikar, but at least as a reprint. But with the exposure, people may go look back at old Zendikar sets to try to get some flavor, and that may lead to a little bit of a boost as well. Yep. Uh, come return to, I guess this is the first return to Zendikar? Well, we battled. RTZ. We battled at Zendikar, remember? Oh, yeah. No, this is RTRTZ. Yes. Yeah, return to return to Zendikar. Yeah. Right. So uh, that'll be... It'll be interesting to see because the um, it seems like flavoring your deck is kind of the the thing to do right now. Like you can be competitive, you can be casual, you can theme your deck whatever you want. Theming is what I've been seeing people chase down recently. People love themes. Well, it's, now that they're giving you the interesting tribes, like they're giving you more hydras, they give you some cats to play with, they're giving you some of these yeah. weird things to do. You can now present themes a little bit better. So yeah, this is very. So, I like that pick. I think it's really solid, and I think it drives home on one of the main tenets of NTG Finance, which is casuals drive the market. Yeah. So, and this is one of those cards, solid. like I said, that for now is a sleeper and is kind of buried behind this competitive facade. But it was at its heart not a competitive card. It was always that kind of, like I said, that casual thing. And that's what we're yeah. waiting on. All right, you're gonna have to help Mine... me out with your pick. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of flavor, and that being the new yeah, thing. Yeah, so Guy Fieri is... over here making flavor-based picks. 
so something I've noticed at work that has kind of been flying off our shelves while quarantine's been happening and people have been playing more and more EDH by camera, stuff like that, we've been selling a lot of Archenemy cards. So by Archenemy, I don't mean the singles, uh, well, kind of. I mean the schemes. Yes. The, so my pick this week is Arch Enemy Schemes. And the reason I'm saying that is that product is completely dead. It's never coming, like, it's it's not coming back. They've said, hey, you know, we're we're done. It's over. Don't worry about it. They gave you a little and bit of a reprisal of it with the Arch Enemy Nicol Bolas, right? Where yeah. it was the Planeswalker decks and then some other bullshit. Yeah, and then, you know, more bad Arch Enemy cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, since then, you know, we're done with this product. And it's something that appear, appeals a lot to casual players. And as EDH is more and more becoming like the financial driver of magic, you're seeing more and more opportunity for stuff like this. And I think that this is just a good opportunity to get in on something that is, frankly, it's not coming back. You know, this this may as well be reserve list at this point, similar to the dual decks. You know, they retired the dual deck series and said, right. hey, you know, it's been swell, but uh, it, it, this product isn't for us anymore. Yeah. And this is something similar to that. You're seeing these casual cards that accentuate how most EDH games go anyway, is that one person is clearly ahead and everyone just gangs up on yeah, them. Yeah, I, I don't know if actually a lot of people have played this format before, but it is very interesting. And it's it's high impact, and it allows for both CEDH and casual EDH to thrive. And I think that's one of the most unique things about it, and I think that's something that makes it very, very appealing yep. and very, very realistic that, like, these are going to dry up. Yep. And once that happens, you're out of luck. Oh, absolutely. You, you, need, you need to have had that. There was a point in time and, where uh, vendors were moving the plane, uh, the plane chase planes around. When one was overstocked, yeah. another would just buy as many as they could because a plane chase is a thing people were playing. Yeah. And plane chase is another one that, you know, over the last year went from 40 to $70, $80 for the entire set at booths. And now we're seeing Arch Enemy start along a similar trajectory. Yeah, yeah. And that's why now I think is the time to get in on this stuff. And I'll admit, your route is going to be kind of rough on this. Okay. Uh, because it's not something that regularly populates buy lists outside of like cool stuff, miniature market. And I don't even know if Card Kingdom has it. Uh, Periodically they do. Hold on. I, look, I, I, I keep, I, I dislike that I keep referencing it, but I joke around that like if you can play it on the table, Troll and Toad will sell it to you. And sure enough, they have schemes, but whether or not they're on the buy list, I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's it's not something you can easily bring with you when you're trading. But Troll does buy if them. You have, okay, there you go. There's there's another out. If you're looking for like trades. You're probably going to have to make it known at your local game shop. Like, hey, I'm showing up. Let's play some yeah. Arch Enemy. If anybody wants these, I have an extra set. Or this set is for trade or whatever. Yeah. But 
The full set is incredibly affordable right now, between 50 to 60 bucks retail. If you can start trading for some of those from locals, if you have a store that has a bunch of them sealed on the low, go for it. I, I just think it's it's a unique opportunity that doesn't present itself often yep. because it's a very accessible limited run product that is out of print that is a very unique way to play the game. I, I like that last part. Um, I, uh, like calling back to, again, Star City Commander series, uh, around Halloween they yeah. always play against the zombie horde, which is not a creation yep. of their own. It was a creation of somebody else's. The rule set, etc., is maintained uh, externally. Yeah. And that's interesting and fun to watch, and it's basically similar to this, where it's everybody against one, yeah, which is, like yeah. you said, how most EDH games uh, devolve. It's an easier way to play that too. The zombie horde, the human horde, any kind of swarm or horde maintained deck external to your own EDH collection has to be updated with every set. And it is a fun yeah. way to play the game. Arch Enemy changes it up because anybody at the table can just pick up the skeins and be the Arch Enemy at any given time. And it does keep things flavorful and fun. You don't have to worry about like keeping up with the newest tech for EDH when you are given a essentially He's a, a god mode yeah. kind of is is the way it's played and it's something that you can do you know i one of the things i've always noticed for me when teaching people the game is let the wookie win you can't just destroy them they're not going to be super pleased with yeah. that so this is the type of thing you can give a new player and I, they're probably going to do pretty well with just a precon because of how powerful these effects are. Oh yeah, ab absolutely. And if you've never read any of these before, they are a little bit of a pain in the in the behind to find. But scheme is a card type, so if you just want to read through some of these because you want to put together your own deck, maybe you don't like all the schemes, you can actually uh, hit gatherer and uh, yeah. bad representation. Hit gather and just search type scheme, and it'll pull up all the schemes you can read yep. through it much like with plane chase not all the planes are great uh curating your own plane yeah. chase deck is definitely the best option because the hippodrome sucks boy does it so like <laughs> i have a plane chase deck i bought it off ebay because i forgot that anybody sells that thing completed yeah. and i have my own curated version of that for when we're feeling spicy Yep. Arch Enemy is honestly a product I forgot about. It came, it went, I remember the Nickel Bolas bundle that came with, it's four decks, right? It's Bolas, Gideon, Jura, Terrible Chandra, and yeah. Anissa? Maybe Lily. I don't know. I think so. I'm going to be wrong about this product, and I don't want to look it up because I didn't care. That All that mattered in that set was that Gideon Jura was reprinted. That's the highlight of that Arch yeah. Enemy set. Then, and up until now, until these picks. Um, yeah. Finding them on stocks is also a little bit difficult. Uh, you can type in the names and find it immediately. Uh, Arch Enemy does have its own uh, designation under sets with uh, on stocks, yeah. but it is the individual cards. It does not contain the schemes. Uh, uh, stocks. Kind of makes it. Difficult. Yeah, stocks and troll and toad track them uh, appropriately. They're deemed oversized cards. As you can see, I have it up in mm -hmm. stocks, and you know all the schemes are here, and it tells you, you know, Arch Enemy or Arch Enemy Knuckle Ball is what it came in. Yeah, you know, of note, there are the two different sets. So if you want the complete one, you know, you gotta gotta get them both the the re the reprinted and actually have everything. And then 
there is one plane for plane chase and one scheme for arch enemy that were LGS level only, like special event mm -hmm. only, I think, uh, that you're going to yeah. have to track down. But it, it, it's interesting. Like, is there... The reason I was I said you got to help me on this one is because there are so many schemes. Like, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's the type of thing that I think typically you're going to want to move as a set. That's going to be your easiest liquidity. That's going to be the easiest way to find mm -hmm. it is literally just post up on Facebook or somewhere, hey, looking for an arch enemy set. Yep. Go to a vendor at a GP when that resumes. Go to your LGS. Hey, do you guys have an arch enemy set laying around? Would you want to sell it? What would you want to yep. do? Uh, eBay has them. Uh, I definitely checked. That's where yeah. I got my plane chase set, like I said. So do you got, uh, does Mini sell a set or? Uh, no, they sell individually. Okay. Uh, similar to, I know, Card Kingdom sells them individually, uh, and Cool Stuff sells them individually. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and guess that Arch Enemy on Troll. This is the Troll is like the only place I would ever expect them a company to bundle all the odds and ends like yeah. that. Yeah. So it does not look like it. Uh, there's sealed. Fair. Yeah, Troll has the deck mm. sealed. They do not have the schemes bundled. So same thing. It, it unless you want to get them off eBay and one like little pack it looks like you're going to be putting a lot of individual things in your shopping cart so yeah and we'll do our best to try and to try and track this over time we'll either pick like a signature scheme so you so you have an idea of how this uh product is kind of floating through or we'll see if we can find a way to link the entire uh bunch of schemes yeah. maybe if there's something on a tcg or something we can get you but you know if you check on our picks uh spreadsheet this way you can have an idea of what it looks like but any way to supplement EDH is definitely something to look into. So, uh, yeah, one of those things I forgot about, and I'm surprised it took us this long to get to. So, yeah, same, a little bit. <laughs> Fair, <laughs> but uh, I think it's going to be it for us this week, guys. Unless you have anything else you want to say on our way out. Nope. Stay safe out yep. there, guys. That's about right. it. So, uh, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Patreon, and we will be opening up, well, not opening, it still is open, at the end of May, I think it is, yeah. we have a podcast, it's literally, yep, Sunday, May 31st, that will, yes. essentially, midnight will be the last day to be entered into our Aquaria giveaway, so uh, if you want to be a patron, jump in on that, you have between one dollar, yep, one dollar gets you entry into that and we are again available for comment if you want to yell at us in capital letters about the reserve list but i am at halt i am reptar on twitter you are at thirsty sizzler we'll see you guys next week see ya